This episode is brought to you by The Pedal Movie, a feature-length film all about effects pedals created by the music gear marketplace Reverb. I am super excited about this film. The Pedal Movie features nearly 100 interviews with people like Steve Vai, Peter Frampton, Jay Mascus, Billy Corgan, and more, including some of our Guitar Speak podcast alumni like Dweezil Zappa, Sarah Lipstate, Johnny Barmer, and Brian Wampler. Reverb's The Pedal Movie is available now on iTunes, Google Play, and Vudu. For more information, visit www.thepedalmovie.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott. Now, Joe is not only a fantastic guitar player, he draws on his years of experience as the ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and also at the McNally Smith Music College. Here's a few words from Joe about the course. You're tired of wading through hundreds of random guitar videos and just want to become a better player. Fretboard Biology is your answer. Fretboard Biology is a self-paced, college-level program that will give you the right instruction, in the right amounts, and in the right order. You'll learn the same information I taught to thousands of other guitar players over 30 years of teaching in top music colleges. If you want to make real progress with your guitar playing, then sign up for a free 7-day trial at fretboardbiology.com. Now today I speak to Australian guitarist Nathan Cavalieri. Now Nathan is a remarkably soulful musician and a fantastic guitar player and it was a real thrill to get to speak to him and hear more of his story. To give you a bit of context, Nathan started playing guitar at age three, picking along with his dad's blues records. Facing leukemia at age six, Cavalieri found solace in his guitar and thanks to the Starlight Foundation, he got to meet and jam with Mark Knopfler. Now this was televised on national TV and even at such a tender age and whilst being still quite unwell, Cavalieri's affinity with the blues and his burgeoning talent was undeniable. Thankfully, by the age of 13, he received a clear bill of health. Now by this time he was a road veteran, having uh, spent countless hours on national and international television, uh, touring the world, sharing the stage with artists such as B.B. King, Robin Ford. Albert Collins, Steve Morse, Steve Cropper, Jimmy Barnes, Diesel and Tommy Emmanuel, to name just a few. Following a break from the spotlight in his late teens, Cavalieri returned fronting the blues rock band Nate Cole and the Kings, Noah festival favourites all around Australia and releasing some fantastic records too. In 2014, he found himself unexpectedly struck down with adrenal fatigue and anxiety issues. In 2017, Cavalieri started writing a website and blog that detailed his return to the stage and the studio. And 2018 ended up being a really great year for Nathan, releasing new music, getting back into the studio and back on stage. It was great to sit down and uh, discuss all of the above with Nathan in great detail. And he's an incredibly articulate and self-aware man, and I was very proud to have him as one of our guests on the Guitar Speaker podcast. So let's go straight to our conversation. Nathan Cavalieri, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Hey, mate. How are you? Thanks for having me. Man, very excited to, to speak to you. Now, I've, um, I've been a fan of your blogs for the last couple of years, and on your latest one, um, you're, you're reflecting on 2018, and you called it the Year of Action, which I thought was a pretty cool... Uh, description of the year what, what what did you mean by that oh, I suppose you know when I you know I, I burnt out probably in about 2011 or 12 and probably was heading that way for a few years um, so you know when I pulled out of the um, the the music industry and just kind of decided to call it quits and I didn't really have much intention of returning um, you know that didn't really sit right with me and that kind of decision to to do that um, it just felt unsettling and it, and that unsettled, you know, those unsettled feelings sort of popped up in other areas of life and, and, and that sort of fear and, and all that sort of spread into everywhere. So I kind of forced me during that period to, to re-examine things, re-examine, like learn about myself, learn, you know, what things am I doing that, you know, that are, that's making my life better. What things am I doing? That's, um, that's kind of pulling me down. Um, which is quite a rabbit hole. Um, 
And uh, so, I, yeah, it was just really a lot of learning, you know, just trying to work out what I want to do, what do I, how do I want to spend my time um, in the future, um, how do I want to feel. And I had to, you know, learn also the tools, um, you know, to use uh, to combat a lot of the stuff that I was going through and, you know, to help get me to where I want to be. Um, so essentially, uh, you know, 2017 was me dipping the toe in the water, you know, uh-huh. after I sort of worked out, you know, when I when I had that sort of clarity on, on where I wanted to move. Um, yeah, the it was just trialing it just to see. And, um, and then, yeah, I made that, that decision very early 2018 and I just want to just, um, yeah, get, get back into it and, and do it properly and, and, um, yeah, hence the year of action. <laughs> That's great. Now, now part of that was getting on the road again and, um, and releasing tracks from an upcoming EP. Um, let's talk about the EP first. What's, what was the process there what, to get back into writing and... And recording. Well, the um, one of the indications actually that I wasn't ready to t- fully turn my back forever on music was that I couldn't stop writing. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, during that period, um, it was uh, I was writing. Um, you know, probably jamming to start off with, just you know, by myself. It was kind of reminded me a little bit of how I started in music to begin with when I was a kid, where it wasn't about trying to make a career out of it. Or, I had no idea how to release a song or record it or whatever. All I knew is that when I was in my bedroom or in the garage or whatever, it was fun. It was fun just putting stuff together and I'd kind of, you know, I had two tape decks and I'd just go between the two, you know, recording a guitar part and then recording a bass part and then just bouncing backwards and forwards. And, um, and yeah, and that's kind of without, um, uh, without in, intending to that's kind of the 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 space that I ended up back in um you know during those sort of darker times where I was just in the in the bedroom just riffing away or coming up with a melody and until it had naturally you know expand into a song and until I had you know probably 20 songs and wow. Wow. songs that I was really really excited by yeah, and that's what made me go, well, you know, it's now not fulfilling like for them to be sitting on a hard drive. I want to, I think I want to put these out or, or play them. I mean, that's where social media was actually pretty good as well because it allowed me to share um, elements of the song in during that sort of building process um, in a casual way. So yeah, cool. it was a, it was a gauge, you know, on on on. So putting it out there, I get that rush of excitement. You get the feedback. You make people feel a certain way, and um, and that's kind of yeah, was was an early days indicator that I I I did want to perform again, um, you know, because back before social media, to put an idea out, like you you had to go through a series of you had to probably book a studio, record it. And then how are you going to get it to the people other than maybe walking around with your CD and giving it to people? But, yeah, you know, you yeah, put course, it, it's yeah. quite a big thing, but now you can just chuck it out there. <laughs> um, that is yourself. cool. I, I remember seeing some of those um, some of those little video snippets you're putting out that you mentioned, and I think it was maybe you jammed with a drummer occasionally as well. I, I think I remember one track it was you, just you and a drummer, you on guitar and singing, obviously, and it just sounded massive. And, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> So maybe that was some of the uh, the lead up, the lead yeah. up work. So you've yep. yep. So you've released two songs already. Um, Demons came out, I think, in August 2018, and then Rising Sun about a month ago, early December. Yep. Um, great, great tunes, man. Demons is obviously a very personal uh, reflection and and contemplative kind of yeah. kind of tune. That's right. Yeah, D- Demons. Um you know, Demons was was written at that time where I kind of, um, it reminded me of all the things that I took for granted. And this is when I was in that dark place where all of a sudden, like, cause I've, you know, my whole life I've always felt confident, fiery, I've had a lot of energy, passion, desire. So then to, on the other side of burning out, all that stuff disappeared. And it uh-huh. reminded me of what, you know, I need to be more grateful, um, 
for and also was, you know, it kind of provided me with a bit of a compass of what I want to work um, to get back to. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of essentially the the nature of demons and, and I, I felt it kind of relevant to, to really, for that to be the first release because I'd been blogging about a lot of that stuff for, yeah, for a couple of years now and, yeah, and um, yeah. yeah, it felt, felt like the right song to release. And then Rising Sun is a version of a cold chisel song. Um, sure, yeah. Which... Yeah, it's it was it was wasn't an easy decision to release it because I mean, it can be musical suicide to do a version of a cold chisel song. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's such a you know, it's I I put cold chisel in the you know with Led Zeppelin and and all that. It's like God, man, you've you want to be sure and you want to be really you know digging what you you're doing to something and 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 also offer a serious point of difference uh, before you go yes, and attempt yeah. to release it. A song like yeah. that, but it it just felt right, and and I'd got positive feedback in my immediate circle, and and um and obviously there was the personal tie with Diesel and and Jimmy and stuff with my career early on, so um yeah yeah very cool very cool um yeah I mean the point of difference yeah you you totally spin it on its head you you break into more of a halftime groove and. Um, I think you tuned to D, is that right, for that? That's right, one? yeah, dropped D and just kept it swampy. And I kind of, you know, uh, that riff came about before it turned into Rising Sun. And okay, yep. it was sitting in my, you know, in my sort of collection for ages and I just I just loved it. It was a type of riff I wouldn't normally make up and and um, and I couldn't figure out what to put with it, like... Each time I try and write a lyric, I'm like, nah, nah, it just wasn't working. And then I was, uh, yeah, I, kind of sitting in the studio and jamming, jamming on, it, on it again. And literally, the words of "Rising Sun" just came out. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, and then you know, I kind of got, you know, in terms of composition, I kind of got stuck um, with some of the chord changes because that halftime groove didn't fully suit all the the original yeah, chords. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It just, it, it felt predictable. It was like, oh, okay, cool. It's, so we're doing the same thing, but slower. And it didn't really do too much um, for the tone and the sleaze as well. So I just, you know, I, one of my favorite things to do is, um, you know, take a, a melody that already exists and then move the chords around it. Um, you know, go to sort of relative minors or majors or, you know, mess with it a bit, and it's just amazing, like how much it transforms and um, the the emotion and the mood. It's um, ridiculous, and that's kind of sort of how I what I did with this one. And it was also about uh, what things can I take out as well, rather than put in. Um, wasn't it about shredding, doing a massive shred solo over it? I just wanted to go. What what can I do over the top of this that's just cruisy, like? channeling jj kale <laughs> you know, in a modern way like um that's kind of yeah otherwise if i wanted to do the full energetic thing i would have kept it like original and just thrashed it out which is not, not sure. what i was in the mood for so sure yeah no i loved it there's i mean there's the the like the two five progression but you just sit on the two instead so there's that kind of subtractive thing you're doing with the chords which are totally yeah. set on that that swampy vibe, man. The tone on that is is killer. Um, is that oh, you thanks, got a fuzz mate. in there somewhere? It's just this gnarly. Swampy. Oh, what am I using? Um, I, it's it's interesting when I recorded, and this this goes, um, you know, for the rest of the EP as well. I, um, I demoed a lot of these songs up, or well, all of them up, and um, a fair few of them were pretty spot on um and but then it comes time where you go all right i want to do it for real and you book the studio you book the engineer and all that type of stuff and and this is where it was really helpful having um it co-produced with a guy called tony buchan mm-hmm. and um you know i had a, a lot of my sort of peeps around me just going dude you should produce it yourself it's what you do and I'm like no I need it I want another pair of ears I need an anchor (laughs) you know because you can go down a creative rabbit hole and just um you know I I really need the security of somebody else that I trusted so during that process um 
the amount of times that he said, no, nah, go back to the demo guitar, go back to the demo vocal or whatever uh-huh. was ridiculous. And it was because the energy, you know, the, even though it might not have been recorded the best, um, it's the energy and the performance. So in this situation, Rising Sun, I went, um, I did revert back for that main guitar to the uh, demo and okay. I recorded it DI um, straight into my Vintech preamp. I wow. overloaded the, I overloaded the Vintech preamp and that's <laughs> the, the type of fuzz that you're hearing. Yeah, and cool. it's going through an 1176 and that was it. And then I knew that I, I just wanted a bit more depth to it because it was, it was very DI. Um, mm-hmm. So then I reamped it. Um, and just sent it through, what did I send it through? I think I sent it through my, um, just my Vox AC15 Heritage and, okay. um, and, and the Fender Pro. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I sent it to two of them and, um, and just set up some room mics and then I blended that with the, um, the DI. Fantastic, man. That's so cool. Man, there's going to be a run on those preamps now. Everyone's going to want to buy one and <laughs> lug it around. Oh, they're great. I mean, they're, they're like the, the Neve copies and they, yeah, they yeah. do it really well, you know. Um, but the uh, it's – I don't know what happened, but particularly over the last year, I'm just getting, you know, massively turned on by driving driving preamp DI. <laughs> it's just – Wow, man. That's yeah. Beatles, man. That's great. Well, yeah, yeah. And I think – and even like JJ Kale and all that, I think – Mm-hmm. You know, some of the amount of times where I've just gone to my amp and tried to get a really, really, you know, crystal clear, clean sound, or just a bit of a drive, and I want to keep it crispy, and 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 then I've just plugged straight into the DI and gone, wow, no, that's it, <laughs> bit of EQ. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, man, that's cool. You you um on both tracks, Rising Sun and Demons, you're you're very adept at um swapping between slide and and fingers. Is that something you've been doing for a while? Um, yeah, I mean, I've probably only paid real, like a lot of attention to my slide playing, um, over the last, uh, few years, actually, like I've always dabbled in, into it, but, but I've spent a lot more time on it over the last couple of years. I, I love it. I mean, it's, it's just the slide, uh, and I, you know, I've, I've got, I've got a lot I need to brush up on. Um, but the, the slide for me. It's just a, it's a feeling. It's like sometimes I, fingers just don't do it. I want something that's a little bit more unusual. Um, And, um, you know, one of my favorite things to do is actually, um, and it's in a couple of songs to come, is to, uh, you know, play a melody on the, on the slide and then double it with fingers. So you kind of get this almost, almost like a modulated tape echoey. Um, type sound and it really puts you into that eagles sort of land the land of the eagles and that Uh that period real sort of 70s early 80s vibes and yeah but no i'm really really enjoying it i've i just got a few tips along the way from kirk larange Um, oh yeah great great. yeah and that's that's actually the slide his slides are, are what i use i really love them because they've got when you put them on they're they're brass and um on the inside, if you look at the 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 thickness, the thickness is actually thicker up the top than it is down the bottom. It's kind of steps. There's like a little step okay. on the inside, and it's to help, you know, because brass is so heavy. It's to help keep it the um, uh, the weight like weight. It, it, it's almost used as a counterweight to keep it nice and straight wow, against your fingerboard. Cool. Yeah, that is genius. Wow. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Now you mentioned um, Diesel. He he provides some backing vocals on um, on Rising Sun, and I believe he had some of his guitars floating around the studio as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. Thankfully, like I've I probably uh, almost half of the guitars that you hear on on the EP are, um, are his. Thankfully, but the um, wow. yeah the <laughs> um. Yeah, it's not easy to ask somebody you idolise to sing backing vocals on your track. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, ah, oh, stuff it. It'll be awesome. I've got to do it. I've got to do it. And yeah. obviously he said yes, and I was 
I was stoked. And also you kind of go through this little thing in your head where you go, what if it's not what you want? How do you then tell your idol, nah, man. It's... <laughs> um, but it was killer. First take and I was just, it was like, yeah, it's awesome. So good, um, man. So I was stoked. But guitars, what did I use? Um, well, out of mine, what I mostly used was my 335. I have a, um, an early 80s 335. Um, sometimes I use my mid 60s SG. Uh-huh. Um, uh, what was the, the rest? The. Um, The uh, his guitar, which I used on Demons, um, you know, because that it's it's mainly just guitar up the front, and yeah, yeah, we um we didn't want to just do a standard sort of telly thing. Um, mm -hmm. We wanted just to kind of just to feel a little bit woodier and clunkier, and and the three three five wasn't quite getting it um, there. It was almost there, um, so we knew we needed some sort of semi semi-acoustic um, type vibe. Um, and it ended up being a, an old Harmony Rocket. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, which are like, you know, were like the um, almost the cheap Kmart guitars from the 60s. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, and it was just... A big hollow body. Yeah, that's right. And it has, it's a, it's a sort of <laughs> pretty quirky looking thing. It's red and um, all these knobs on it and... Um, yeah, it just gave that clunk, you know, that dead sort of clunk. And um, and that was, yeah, that was Diesel's guitar. And, nice. um, yeah, as soon as I picked it up, I'm like, oh, man, I hate you because now I want to spend some money <laughs> and buy one. <laughs> um, That's great. There's a beautiful tremolo on that that track as well. What, what's that coming from? Um, that's coming from the, oh, is it the Deluxe or the, oh, I think it was my, uh, Fender Princeton. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Got an old, old, um, sixties Princeton. Um, and I think I could be wrong cause that all happened so quickly. I think during the mix process, there's a little bit of a, some sort of mod okay. going on just very slightly, yeah. um, in the background as well. Nice. Yeah, it's very sweet. It's very sweet, that, that whole guitar. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I was happy with it. Nice. So what's the um, what's the next step with your EP? So you, you seem to be like trickling out um, the, the EP in singles over, you know, when you're ready. When, when's the next um Yeah, next the, next, the next one will be uh, mid-February. Uh, it's a song called uh, 29 Gold Stars, and that's probably a little deeper, goes, you know, um, I mean, Rising Sun has similar vibes. Twenty Nine Gold Stars is a pretty out there, quirky song. It's um, uh -huh. it's it's a little bit hybrid as well. Um, you know, I'm not using real drums on it, um, but it's not, you know, it's it's not David Guetta <laughs> or anything, <laughs> Calvin Harris. Um, but yeah, just that little bit more hybrid. Um, so yeah, that's, that's definitely a song that I'm, I'm looking forward to releasing. And then, um, Hug, which comes out with the EP, um, is a ballad. Um, and, uh, and there's an instrumental as well, um, Great. Great. called, uh, Chucky. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Cool, man. Fantastic. Sounds great. There's, um, one of your, one of your blog videos, there's just an out, an outtake of you just wailing over some epic kind of thing. There's backing vocals and your um, your jam. Oh, I don't know. I, is it is it kind of a ballad? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's kind yeah, of a little yeah. maybe Beatles esque with just this yeah. soaring sort of guitar. That's hug. That's hug. Okay, cool. Yeah, so cool. that'll be that'll be the release after this one. Yeah, right. yeah. I was, I was hoping that might be one of the one yeah. of the ones. No, definitely. Yeah, I, I, same thing. Look forward to that one as well. Those two, 29 Gold Stars and Hug, are, are one of my favourites, uh, some of my favourites. So, um, cool, man. Yeah, the, and that was, that, was the, that was the song that also, you know, during some parts I doubled with slide with fingers as well. Oh, okay. have that Beatles-y, okay. eagles -y thing. I hope you are enjoying today's interview. Now, this podcast is brought to you by The Pedal Movie, a feature-length film all about effects pedals. 
created by the Music Gear Mark Place Reverb. Now you know we love guitar pedals here on the Guitar Speak podcast and we're super excited on the release of this film. The pedal movie explores how effects pedals and their builders have shaped modern music and guitar playing over time, from the fuzz pedal experiments of the Rolling Stones and Jimi Hendrix through the shoegaze and indie rock of the 90s and up to the modern day use of effects. Reverb also speaks with builders and leaders from more than 50 pedal brands to answer the big question, how did guitar pedals get so big? Reverb's The Pedal Movie is available now on iTunes, Google Play and Voodoo. For more info, check out thepedalmovie.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by master guitar teacher Joe Elliott. Now, I was a beta tester for the course, and as a music educator myself, I was very impressed by the logical layout and format of the course. Heavyweight guitarists such as Brett Garsett and Greg Koch have also endorsed the program, so check it out at www.fretboardbiology.com. Okay, back to our interview. In addition to releasing, starting to release stuff again uh, last year, you got on the road again. Tell me, tell me about that. Yeah, I did. Bit the bullet, took the leap. Um, yeah. Yeah, there were definitely some psychological barriers that I had to, to break down to get back up on the road because you know, um, you know, most a lot of people don't know unless you followed my blog, but. It, when I was kind of starting to burn out um, during my old band, touring with my old band, Nat Cole and the Kings, um, yeah. I sort of didn't really know what was going on and I'd just get these these random washes of fear and and feeling depleted and then I couldn't sleep, so I was sleeping only three, four hours a night and, um, and then having to sort of, you know, tour like that and get up on stage and then I'm playing this festival down in, in Victoria Mm-hmm. And I remember just before going on stage, the same thing. I just felt this, you know, I felt all jelly in my body and depleted. My vision was a bit, bit all over the shop, and and um, uh, but then you know it was. I, I had to go on stage. I just had to do it. So I went on stage and I, I did what I normally do, push past it, you know, rise above it. And then about mm-hmm. uh, probably the second, third last song. Um, you know, I hit a big note on the mic and then all these just tingles went up my body and then sort of had a mini semi blackout on stage. And, um, and then I, I, I hit the ground and then I, I came to, and, and then I remember just looking up and just seeing just all these people just looking at me. They probably thought it was the show <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, oh, probably would have looked rock and roll, but it didn't feel it. And, um, and and then just this massive overwhelm of how am I going to get through the rest of these these songs and it's hard to explain to people who haven't felt it what what that type of overwhelm feels like because there's nothing rational about it you're not in your the your rational part of your mind it's yeah, you yeah. you it's the only way I can describe it to somebody who hasn't been felt those feelings is it literally feels like somebody has dropped your you know poisoned your drink. And you're uh-huh. you're you're tripping out or something like that. That's yeah. what it feels like. And um, so it's quite unnerving. And I I managed to power through it. And this is before I was educated about any of that stuff. You know what's happening with yeah, the body, sure. what's happening with the mind, and all that. So as far as I was concerned, it would randomly just come on, and I just so I was walking around the world just on guard all the time, wondering mm. is it going to hit now? Is it going to hit now? And it, and that sort of fear would would be stronger during certain times, like whether I'm presenting, you know, in the studio to clients or going out to dinner with some friends or whatever, you know, I would fear it happening more than what I would say just sitting at home. Um, and then, and also on stage. And then the fear just got so bad when it came to being on stage that being on stage wasn't fun anymore. And it was something that I dreaded, um, which was sad because I been playing since I, on stage since I was eight years old. Yeah, and at yeah. twenty nine thirty, um, I had I had to turn away from it because just to work out what the hell was going on. So, I I hadn't played. I mean, I did the odd, maybe one tiny little, you know, get up with a mate just to try and push myself mm-hmm. once or twice in f- mm, 
well, what's that? Five years. Um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, like I was t- t- telling you before, when I decided that I do want to have another crack at this and, you know, I made a deal with myself. I said, just push through it, you know, cause I couldn't, like, I couldn't imagine that, that fear had suffocated my desire to play so much that I couldn't even remember what it felt like to play a gig on stage, um, and feel good about it. So it was hard for me to draw on all the memories that I had that were just corrupted by this fear. So, and when all, you know, when fear corrupts all your memories, then it's going to affect how you look towards the future. So, you know, somebody booked me a show at that point in time, all I would think is, how am I going to do this? I, and I would have forgotten what the years of amazing gigs I've done and how amazing I felt. Um, so, but I knew just through being mindful that, um, that, corruption was uh um how can i put it it's like i i knew that was corrupting my desire to play and the only way i was going to be able to really truly feel uh, you know know whether i really want to play music again is to to do it until i don't fear it anymore and if i don't enjoy it still and the fear and it's not because of fear then i know okay it's over. It's not, not for me anymore. But mm-hmm. in order to get to that place, I have to just get through it. I have to keep pushing through my fears until they're gone. So that was the deal I made at the start of last year. And when I trialed like one or two gigs, it only took one or two gigs. And by the end of those gigs, I was on the biggest high that for weeks, uh-huh. for weeks after it. And that's how I knew. I was like, I remember I played a show called uh, The Rhythm Hut in Gosford. And that particular show, I'd played the Brass Monkey before that and I got off and I felt pretty high. And then a week later was the Rhythm Hut and and that put me even higher. And that was the show that made me go, all right, it's time to, time to have a crack at a tour. Wow. Um, and do this for real. And then, yeah, so that was uh, August, uh, August, October, oh no, October, November uh, was the tour last year. So naturally I'd gone from doing just a one-off gig to booking 10 um <laughs> and you know there were there were uh it was brisbane surrounding uh, suburbs of like brisbane sydney um melbourne um yeah gold coast um uh central coast and uh yeah and so being on the road for that um you know it was all definitely all about preparation you know, I had to an- anticipate a little bit where I might get stuck and have a bit of a plan on what's going to happen. You know, what do I what do I do when I when I get stuck to stop myself from going down, you know, the, that negative rabbit hole and getting having panic attacks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so what things can I put in place for that? And um, and just setting intentions as well. Um, and the intention for that tour was not to enjoy it, like. Not that I wanted to go out of my way not to enjoy it, but it was about embracing the fear and the pain and whatever happens, but just get through it. Just keep pushing, just keep pushing. And then um, naturally when, you, you know, when you're leaning in, you know, the, the good stuff comes. And it did every, every time. Every time I, I went on stage, no matter how nervous I was beforehand, no matter how much my thoughts might have carried me away, the act of me just leaning in, and getting on stage and moving through it, um, every time I would I would feel bliss. Um, so now it's about repetition. I almost got to it, you know, probably the last couple gigs um, was when I really started feeling relaxed and at home. Okay. Um, but it was only the last couple gigs. So um, I think, yeah, it's just the rest is just repetition. Sure, sure. Well, wow. when you um, and the feedback was great, you know the, the 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 people. I think it's it's definitely the most connected I've been with my audience, um, probably since I was a kid. But even then, when I was a kid, I was I was playing guitar. I wasn't singing. I wasn't you know saying what I wanted to say. But I'm kind of telling my story a little bit in in amongst the set as well. And it it just yeah, it's resonating with a lot of people. And I'm I'm getting a like. It's it's showing me why I play music, you know, is to, you know, when you create something 
and then you put it on stage and you perform it and you take people with you and you and you're all feeling a whole room we're all feeling the same thing um that's that's where the magic is and that's kind of why I do it that's that's brilliant that's absolutely brilliant i I remember reading in your first blog when when you describe what you've just told us now about that um, that first anxiety attack um, so vividly. I'm, I've got to say your your blog it's written and now the videos they're written so beautifully and and, and honestly. Um, Thanks, mate. Yeah, so just seeing you slowly work through that and uh, make those steps back on stage is is pretty great. One thing you wrote in one of your early blogs was that um, you couldn't find much information from other artists who were going through the same thing as as you were. Do you think you being so open about you know your health health challenges, both physical and uh, and mental health challenges? Um, yeah, do you see yourself now being a being one of those voices to what must be a fairly sizable population of people who need to see a blueprint like this yeah well i'd at least like to think that i'm i'm triggering that sort of movement um for other artists to want to um share it uh the i mean i've i'm a work in progress um there's still a lot of questions that i have and 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 a lot of you know i um you know the reason why i'm not going out and doing speaking events or you know fully doing that whole thing is because i'm i'm I, I need more proof that what I've learned um, is is working for me. Um, but I, and you know, I think there's a lot of information that's online and that people are writing and putting out there, and when they shouldn't be, <laughs> uh-huh. whether they're not qualified or they don't fully have the experience. Um, and I just didn't want to be one of those people, which is why all I've done through my blog is just shared you know, um, just an experience, uh, be it an experience or a technique that I've, I've found helpful that's worked for me, but I'm not going to preach that I know all the answers and, and, you know, to broadly say that, Hey, um, this is how you get yourself from being, you know, paralyzed by anxiety, anxiety and, um, to being fully liberated. I don't have that answer just yet. I'm almost there. I feel I feel feel like I'm heading in the right direction. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was it was tough. It was really tough when when you come away from the doctors and and you're at a point where you've had so many tests and you're trying to work out what's wrong with you, um, and then they tell you that all your blood work is amazing. You know, that's ironically was a really low point for me because I wanted I wanted an answer. Of course, wanted, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. an answer. Why Why am I feeling like this? And that um, comes from the fact that it's just there's so much mystery. There's just not enough people um, sharing their mm-hmm. um, uh, their stories, and and not just. It's not about stories of suffering. We want to hear stories of suffering and how somebody move through it you know because if that was common knowledge then i i probably would have saved myself a couple years (laughs) of trying to work out what is wrong and also seeing the right people i would have known early on who what you know who my the right practitioners were yeah um yeah what type of people I, i want around me to help me through this so um and particularly in music um it yeah it would be good because i know i know many struggle um, with it, and I also know many have moved past it, moved through it, mm-hmm. and it's I can understand when there's not, when there aren't any answers around how somebody can just be driven to the abyss. Sure, um, sure. You know we've, and when you break it down, like the sensations, like what you feel, um, they're not that bad compared to, compared to other things that we feel. I mean, let's just look at. If you're the first person on the planet to have a full-blown flu, um, nobody talked about you know nobody talked about because nobody knew what it was. I mean, I reckon you'd be pretty bloody scared. You got you know Absolutely. shit coming out of your nose. You're trembling. You're fevering. You're bed bound. You're sweating. You're. I mean, that would be scary. But the fact that everybody talks about it and yep. you know yep. it, and you see people get the flu and then they get better. They know what to do. Yada yada yada. It doesn't. 
you know, it doesn't last. And same thing when it comes to anxiety and all that. What makes it last is the resistance to it when mm-hmm. it comes on. So if there's no, if you get rid of the resistance and you accept it, it's just a normal, can be a normal part of um, being a human being. It'll, you know, we won't make it any bigger than what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing I think really sticks through with those early accounts from you is that um, physically and mentally they'll, they'll, you're obviously struggling, but there's an overwhelming sense of um, uh, confusion, you know, and surprise. Why am I feeling like this? Um, and it just hit home to me. And I'm, my day job is in education, and so I'm working with young people all the time, and there's a lot of lot of focus on on mental health and thankfully you know these days it's a different topic than it was you know maybe even just 20 years ago um but what really struck me with 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 your story is that you know just that simple fact that um these struggles are are no respecter of persons it can they can come seemingly very suddenly and to anybody in any situation and like the flu anyone can get the flu um, yeah. Let's look at it like that. Yeah, yeah. And it took me a long time to realize that as well. And and I remember watching like um, Fighting Fear, at, at that um, Mark Matthews surf um, documentary. Oh, Bra okay. Boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and even Storm Surfers like with Tom Carroll and um, Ross Clark Jr. And what occurred to me um, when I'm watching this is – who we think is fear, they're fear, people who we think are fearless, they're not fearless. It's what they do with the fear when it comes on. Uh-huh, uh-huh. They love it. Some people hate fear. Some people love fear. Some people pay big money to get that that rush, that fear, because they associate it with completely different things. So, okay. um, yeah, it's it's a topic, particularly fear in general. It's it's something that I. Um, I would have loved to have understood a little bit more um, early on. It's a very fascinating topic, I reckon. Yeah, um, yeah. And you know, I've uh, I I love how much more awareness there is. Um, probably my only um, concern is that I'm, I just hope it's the right type of awareness. It depends on the circles that you move in because, uh, you know, I'm not really a fan of of. Um, particularly with kids, I know it's a bit of a controversial topic, but you know the labels, anxiety disorder, and mm-hmm. and this that scares me a little bit. Particularly right. if if somebody who's a, a really young kid um, has been you know branded this way. I mean, if if somebody says to me, "I've got anxiety disorder," like I had leukemia when I was a kid, yeah, I knew there was something wrong. That's mm-hmm. like when somebody says you got cancer. Okay, well, there's something wrong going on there, and it is a big mountain that that you have to climb. You know, also because of the lab- like the label itself. So when you're going through a phase where you're, you know, there's a lot of fear in your life, and then you're, you know, somebody who you respect um, diagnoses you with anxiety disorder. All of a sudden, there's something wrong in your head. Oh, okay, this is all wrong. There's something wrong with me. Yeah, which to me makes it even worse. Um, you know, it's, it's, whereas, you know, like in high school, I remember high school and even primary school, you're going to go through times that are tough. Like it's growing pains. It's, it's, they are tough years. And I remember being crazy self-conscious for years and, and scared of school. And, um, and I didn't have many friends. I was picked on, but I never once thought of myself as being bullied because I'd come home and my dad, um, particularly my dad, would teach me how to deal with that fear and to deal with, you know, adversity, uh-huh. which kept me always on the front foot um, rather than trying to run um, from it, you know, because the, the act of running to me is, and the, the the resistance to whatever you're feeling is then how it becomes a real issue within yourself. Um, and those were life tools that I've got now. You know, I've, I wrote about it in a blog um, ages ago about it's those years um, of being uncomfortable in school taught me like so onwards from that like I could walk into a, a room as the oddball out and and not feel insecure 
because I, I was exposed to that for yeah. so long, you know, <laughs> at, at high school. <laughs> I mean, I know there's other ways to learn things, but, you know. Yeah. That, well, that was your um, way. Yeah, cool. Well, that was my way, yeah. Awesome. You mentioned... Um, if we, we, let's go back then for, for a bit. Um, you mentioned um, being diagnosed with cancer when you were, when you were six. I, when I was... I think when I was three and four, I was diagnosed with Willem's tumours, which was... Um, very treatable these days. A very common cancer in children, but in the seventies, it was pretty. It was pretty serious. So I had a lot of invasive surgery, and to be honest, I don't remember. Yeah, right. I don't remember a lot of it. I remember losing my hair. I remember. Um, yeah. How old were you again? I was three and four. Yeah. I think maybe five when I had my last surgery. I had a bunch of surgery. On. Sure. I had a kidney removed. I had a portion of um, my right lung. Oh wow! Removed. Yeah, it was pretty. It was full on. Um, but to be honest, I was because I, re- I was so young. I don't remember a lot of it. And looking back now, as now I'm a dad, as you are, I I just think, man, hard for me. But it must have just been incredibly hard for my parents. Yeah. Now you were six. You were a little bit older than me. What What do you remember of that? Is your experience similar, um, or did, were you old enough to know a little bit more? And I was old enough to know, like, to remember what I was going through and what you know everything. But I, I was always kept in the dark right. when it came to what you know the realities. Okay, um, which is smart because it kept me focused on the things that I want to do in life rather than where I don't want to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, you know. It's. I would say during that time is when I my bond with my guitar deepened. Yeah. Because uh, it took my mind off the pain and mm-hmm. and all the procedures and which were really rough. You know, back then, and the hospital that I was at, they didn't have enough beds to put you out for really painful um, operations like lumbar punches and stuff like that. So I'd be awake for them. Oh man. Um, at that age, and I'd have to do them every week for months. Wow. Um, wow. Man. So, you know, I'm I'm sure maybe. Uh, you know, there's always been this, you know, my, my psychologist often wonders how much of, um, you know, that type of anxiety is, is sort of trapped in my body. It's like kind of emotional muscle memory, really, Okay. that it's just, there's nothing else has happened since then in your life, in my life to trigger that type of emergency reaction until, you know, um, until my late twenties, and then, and then, boom! It just it's it's there. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I mean, because oh, I remember just every you'd get through it, and then I'd be on a high because I got through it, and then and then I'd be counting down the days. You know, okay, I've got five more five more days until I have to go in there. Four more days until I go in there, and mm-hmm. then I wouldn't sleep very well, and and um, and that was the pattern. Anticipation was the pattern. You know, being in a state of anticipation was the pattern for a long time because of that. And maybe that's got something to do with my, my nature in general. Um, they're really, um, those years are really, um, what's the word? Um, um, influential on in your makeup mm-hmm. when you're that young. Um, yeah, but uh, then the, uh, the Starlight Foundation... That's when they came into my life, which was when I was seven, when they granted me that wish to meet Mark Knopfler from Dire Straits. Yeah, and when that's when Australia, we we pretty much got to meet you um, when that's when that right, happened. Yeah. yeah, man, amazing, amazing. Yeah, one day it'd be good to meet him again. Uh huh. I so haven't met him since. You haven't met him since? Okay. Nah, nah. I mean, I actually, I think he came out. Dire Straits came out that year or a little bit later, and I'm hooked up with him backstage. But yeah. Um, I haven't never really crossed paths. Well, I haven't crossed paths with him since. But it'd be an interesting, um, interesting meet. That's sure, for sure. sure. Um, can we can we talk about a little bit about that that time? I guess. Yeah. Um, so you became a household name. Yeah, pretty much at the age of seven or eight, um, playing guitar. I actually first saw you live when you sat in with Robin Ford, and this would have probably been the early nineties. Oh, in the basement. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And. Um, yeah, you know, I was a guitar player, so when I saw you on TV and absolutely when I saw you with Robin Ford, I knew you weren't just a, a gimmick or some kid who'd learnt a trick and got on TV. There was a lot of depth to your uh, musicianship even then. And, you know, by then you've already been playing half your life. So, yeah. um, But there, that set you on a course with 
to work with some really interesting people. Um, if I what if I just mention a few names and you can perhaps reflect? Mm. Um, Daryl Summers, because you're on Hey Hey at Saturday a lot, and I believe yeah. even in recent years he's been um, an encouraging figure for you. Yes, absolutely. Well, Daryl, you know, Hey Hey at Saturday is like uh, I, there's not a show out there like it. It's um especially for musicians. Mm. You know, like Hey Hey at Saturday um, wasn't biased to you know whatever is in the top 100, top 50 or whatever you want to call it. Um, he, he had different different types of musicians on there and um, and multiple on one show. So, and Hey Hey It's LA was the, also the thing that you do, you did. You know, all the overseas touring acts, when they came to Australia, they would play Hey Hey It's yeah, LA. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a real big deal and definitely um, was a, a key supporter for music. Um, you know, you, you'd end up on Hey Hey It's LA and your tour, you know, did well. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as you were good. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so the fact that he supported, um, you know, an artist that's pretty unlikely, like, you know, myself and, and also not a sure bet, um, yeah, I was pretty flattered by that. And he supported me for almost 10 years. So I didn't realize that until... Uh, about three years ago when we, um, that he just randomly reached out to me, um, and wanted, and wanted to meet up and see how it was going in Sydney and gave me a, um, his, the whole back catalog was up and, and, um, gave me a, a DVD just with all my appearances on there. And I'm watching him going, man, that's, that's epic. Like I had a flick through, I can't watch myself. Um, <laughs> but just having a flick through going, wow, that this was a long time. So a long time. Sometimes I'd be on there twice a year, and right up until I was, yeah, I think the last appearance was sixteen, seventeen years old, sixteen years old maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was on there first time at eight years old. So, um, yeah. Awesome. I, th- um, I think that's when you became um, everyone's little brother, or or you know, in in, <laughs> in Australia, and um, I know. I think you were, um, you're diagnosed with remission in you know about thirteen. You know it's like the whole nation like big deep sigh and super happy. Yeah, man, I remember doing. I yeah, I didn't think of it like that, but yeah, I suppose yeah. For sure, because we everyone watched Hey Hey. That's what we did on a Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? That's well, awesome. I mean, Hey Hey, Hey Hey. You know, they've um, that's kind of. Um, Definitely, without them, I wouldn't be where I am now because um, it was a Hey Hey Saturday performance um, where um, Jimmy Barnes um, and I crossed paths and then he signed me to his wife's record label with Mushroom Records. Um, and and that's when I went on my first tour. Yeah. Well, that, that were the next people I was going to mention, Jimmy and, and Jane Barnes. Yeah, because I would went from like, well, Hey Hey... Outside of Hey Hey, I was just busking in Queen Street, Campbelltown, uh-huh. and um, and then and then the next thing I'm on a five week rock and roll tour <laughs> um, around Australia, playing some of the roughest places, yeah, and biggest as well. And um, and my dad, I mean, this is like the more I think about this stuff, the more I just look to my parents and go, God, oh my God, yeah. you guys really did take a you know, take some chances and put yourself in, in threw yourself in the deep end because, yeah. you know, my, my dad was, even though he taught me, he wasn't a professional musician mm-hmm. and he'd never played on stage before. So um, just sort of maybe at a party or something like that and he used to have a garage band with a couple of mates and that's it. Yeah. Um, so now he's in charge with trying to put together a band for me to play at entertainment centres around Australia. Yeah. And, um, so he just did his best and, and I had, how would I had, I had him on rhythm guitar. I had on bass guitar, I had, um, his, uh, fellow bricklayer mate (laughs) playing bass. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, on drums, we had Jimmy Barnes's guitar tech. Oh no, uh, drum tech. Okay. Yanni. And then, um, and that was my band. <laughs> that was my band for the for the tour. And um, yeah, 
And then at the end of that tour was um, for the after party. Um, that's when I met the the guy who became my manager in America. He was oh, an Australian okay. guy that was putting on um, putting on an event, a celebration event for Guitar Player Magazine. It was their 25th anniversary. Yeah, yeah. And um, I remember and seeing yeah, you in, in Guitar Player. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. You and, had the um, super sparkly PV Nathan Cavalieri yeah. model. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll go the 90s. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, and then he, yeah, we we went over to the states, and I played that, um, and that was there was some amazing guitarists there, like um, John Lee Hooker, Ray Cuda, Steve yeah. Morse, um, Jeff Baxter, Frank Mbali. Yeah. Um, I mean, at the time, there's a lot of people I just didn't know who they were. Yeah, and um, funny story though, Ray Cuda was playing, and and everyone's always always told me how much like he can be a bit of a cranky pants, and and. Um, <laughs> So he's on stage and he's just doing a solo thing, something by himself, and he's playing this blues and and um, and the uh, the crowd starts clapping, but they're you know what crowds can be like, they, they clap a bit out of time, and John Lee Hooker's also you know pretty loose, <laughs> and it yes. was and it was it was throwing him off, <laughs> was throwing him off. So then he just stopped midway through the song and he goes, "Don't do that." <laughs> <laughs> And everybody's just like, oh. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was my first encounter with um, – and actually on that same trip, I got to play with Albert Collins. Wow. Um, Tell me about yeah, that. What, what's, what's that? Well, that was just at San Francisco Blues Festival. I have no idea how it was hooked up because um, I wasn't even signed at the time. And we uh, might have been through – yeah, probably maybe somebody through somebody at, at the Guitar Player magazine. Mm -hmm. Went to San Francisco um, Blues Festival – and um, yeah, he had me up on stage, and I got to play with him in the Icebreakers, wow. um, and that was incredible. That's the first blues band I, I ever played with, you know, proper blues band. Okay, and the, you know, and still to this day, it's like my first blues band, and, and I was ten years old, and it was Albert Collins. And that's not bad. <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, and the groove. I remember the shuffles, and you know. And that was an education on the difference between a Texas shuffle and a Chicago, oh, Chicago okay. blues type okay. shuffle, you yeah. know? Well, um, what's the difference? Well, I find the Chicago shuffle, like, you know, the Texas shuffle is more on the left hand with the snare. You know, if you think of, like, the difference between Albert Collins' uh, T-bone shuffle. Yeah. But, uh, you know, versus cold shot Stevie Ray Vaughan is a lot more sort of you know, back. And, okay. And, yeah, yeah. You know, almost like a half swing rather than a full. Um, you know, it's a bit sleazier, and um, I probably identified a little more with the Texas shuffle for mm -hmm. for years. Mm -hmm. um, and I I find it the Texas sort of shuffles and stuff like that a bit dirtier, a bit sleazier, um, but but both good, of course. Nice, nice man. We could I could probably go on all day asking it. Um, about these different stories but um bottom line yeah. is though you you here you are 2019 about to kick into a, a new year last year sounds like it was you know really positive and lots of new stuff or lots of stuff for the first time in a long time and um yeah so thank you for um thank you for being so honest throughout your i mean for speaking to me today about just with your blog for the last couple of years and, and speaking so openly about um not only your, your health issues, but there's some great stories in your blogs about being on the road um, and meeting some of these amazing people and all sorts of stuff. So, um, yeah, I'm just saying this to say I'm really excited to see where, where things are at for you at the moment and very much looking forward to seeing what, um, what 2019 ends up being for you. Yeah, thanks, mate. I really appreciate it. And it's good to know that all those blogs and stuff resonate as well because, I mean, I, I write it because it's a cathartic release and sure. and also with some of them I'm, I'm hoping that it inspires people but um, I can't really know um, un, unless people give me feedback on it. And yeah. um, so it's good good to – really good to hear Yeah, it's resonating. And, oh, um, cool. Yeah, well, thanks thanks for having me, mate. Man, great it's pleasure. Good to chat. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, I'll hopefully see you at a gig soon. Absolutely. Cool, mate. 
All right, there you go. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Now, this podcast was brought to you by The Pedal Movie, the feature-length film all about effects pedals created by Reverb. Reverb's The Pedal Movie is available now on iTunes, Google Play, and Vudu. For more information, visit thepedalmovie.com. The show was also brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by ex-head of guitar at GIT, Joe Elliott. Check out fretboardbiology.com for more information. Alrighty then, you have been listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling, and as the legendary German rocker Michael Schenker once told me, Keep rocking, keep on rocking. Keep on rocking indeed. Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you next time. Bye now.